don't be scared to go off the path. You're almost raised with this path set up for you, whatever that may be. And it really takes checkpoints early on to say, is this what I want? Like, is this really, you know, the next step for me? Um, and it's okay to just do something different. And realize that no one can possibly know what's right for you, except for you. We need more than anything, the belief and faith in ourselves and uh, the goodness that we can bring to this world. I can't stress enough how much in control of your reality you are within, within yourself. This was not only one of the most interesting, but most fulfilling episodes to date because we got to sit down with four incredible women who I admire and learned so much from over the past two years. Janet Bruno, who is always so present, vibrant, and loving. She's full of zest and is always looking to impart her wisdom to help other people get better. Maha, who is so open, flexible, and kind. She's a really loving person filled with challenges for herself and the people around her. Brooke, who is always seeking new experiences and growing and developing perpetually. She's been a partner uh, and friend of mine since we were on our first team together at the beginning of the MBA program. And Monica, who's someone who produces something out of nothing and has overcome so much in her life and continues to be there for everyone else around her. These four women are incredible. You should read their full bio, which is available in the description. And I'm just excited to share this episode for the numerous takeaways anything that you could get out of it from standing in your own power to go from awareness to actualization, making your own odds, producing something out of nothing, building even greater things together and managing our regrets so that we overcome things like procrastination and the series of challenges we're faced with all the time. The amount of learning that I've done with and what I've gained from them has been incredible and I'm excited to share that in this episode of Heart and Hard Work. I'd love if Janet, if you could get started for us and then we'll kind of move down the line. But Janet, how would you like to be witnessed? How would I like to be witnessed? Um, so I am someone who just has a zest and vibrance for life. And I, I take whatever challenge comes my way. I set a vision for what I want. And I kind of just want to be witnessed as the person who's present, vibrant, loving, and ready to make a huge contribution to the world. Wow. Tough act to follow, but that's, uh, you always do a great job of setting an example for all of us as we've all been impacted by you. Maha would love, would you go next? How would you like to be witnessed? Thank you, Rob. It, it's, it's so hard to go after Janet, uh, but I'll try. So I, I really want to be witnessed as an open, flexible, kind, and challenge-loving person. I know it's different, uh, angles or different dimensions are uh, all the four words, but I, that's how I want to work myself on. Like that's how I, I want to be as a person. So that's how I would love to be witnessed. That's really special. I'm glad you took that angle too, because very often we're seen a certain way, but how we see ourselves can be quite different. And there's an alignment factor that comes in there. So it's important for people to know how you'd like to be seen. So Brooke, would you mind to go next? How would you like to be witness? Sure, thanks, Rob. Um, so at my core, I'm someone that really cares about my relationships. I usually 
prioritize those in my life. Um, but I'm also just always seeking new experiences, whether, you know, through jobs, through travel. And so through those, I think I've gained a lot of different perspectives and I've changed a lot. So that's how I want to be seen as someone who's growing and developing and kind of always, always changing and transforming a little bit. I love that. And I, from getting to know you, you certainly do live that. And I love that we'll hear some more stories from you in a little bit, I'm sure, about how you've made those decisions. And Monica, how about you? How would you like to be witnessed? Yeah, well, that's a, that's a big question. Um, I would say that for me, I would like to be witnessed as somebody who produces something out of nothing or somebody who goes against odds to come to these very defining experiences in life. Um, because I, I have done just that. I've, I've overcome a lot of statistics. I've, um, you know, went into entrepreneurship with nothing and, you know, developed a business. Um, and, you know, those are just a couple of examples, but really I, I'd like to be witnessed as um, somebody who produces and gives value to others. That's certainly how I see you and why I've been grateful to continue to work with you and we continue to make something out of nothing, so. That's really awesome. And I think true to this episode, any one of you would be a tough act to follow, but I wouldn't even think of it that way. I would think about it as you are setting and setting a tone and paving the way for others to be able to, to pave their own way and make their own way. So just like Janet has done for all of us as an amazing mentor, you too are now leaders going forward and talking about that. And it comes a lot from the vivid defining moments that you've all been through and you all kind of discussed these, the, them so far. I want to start the discussion by talking about some of those defining moments and how they have come to shape who you are today and the way that you like to be witnessed. So, so Janet, one of the first questions I want to ask you is about one or two of your vivid defining moments, something that changed your course. Can you talk more about that? Sure, happy to. It's a great question. And what really first comes to mind is uh, when I had done undergrad, I really wasn't sure if I was going to do business or pre-med. And I just knew that I had to find myself a little more. So I went off into the Peace Corps and that was amazing, but I still really wasn't clear. And what was a big defining moment is when I knew I had some time after Peace Corps, before I came back, I decided I wanted to work with Mother Teresa in one of her homes in India. And it was a leper colony that I was like literally living and working for a two month period. And it was there that I had a truly defining moment. And it was kind of a two part defining moment. One part was I was working among these people that had leprosy and probably none of you and no one listening to this has ever seen anyone with leprosy, but basically um, they get the claw hand, they, lose the cartilage in their nose, their nose kind of crunches down, their ears elongate, they lose their eyebrows, very deforming, cast out of society. And this surgeon would come in every other week and do this hand surgery. And I saw, I was there for two months. So I saw the surgeon come in. I didn't have any medical skills, but they said, we need you to help. So I learned how to scrub in and just hold retractors. And I was fascinated. And during the time I was there, I saw people recover. Their whole hand function was returned from the surgery and physical therapy. And I'm like, this is incredible for an agrarian society like India. They just got their livelihood back. A defining moment with, to me was like, I wanna become a doctor. No question in my mind, I wanna be a surgeon. I wanna transform people's lives that way. So I'm gonna be a healer. 
was like the message I got. And the second part to that was, I also saw these people that were all cast out of their society, their family, they'd probably never see them again because they had the signs of leprosy. They were all put off in this colony. And these people who had like literally nothing from like the Western standard, they had no money, no, no clothing, no family, but yet they decided to come together with the essence of who they were. And they taught me so much because they had like a deep joy. And I realized that we in the West had so much money and material things, but a lot of times we didn't have that deep joy. So I, it was a defining moment for me in another way where I realized the true value and richness that we each have and can have. And I like committed my life in two ways there. One, to become a healer. And in my mind, I translated that to become a medical doctor, which is morphine. I'm still a healer and in sort of different ways in one way. But then in the second way is to truly tap into that deep joy and love that we all have and recognize that in myself. And I committed myself to develop it there as well as helping other people develop it. So those were like two back-to-back, -back, one, two distinctions from the same defining moment that was truly transformative in my life. That's so powerful because it's like, there's the expression that comes to mind. We don't learn from experience. We learn from reflecting on experience. So you were able to draw so much meaning and importance in your own life and your own calling from reflecting on that experience and being able to help and being able to draw more joy into your life. And I think Maha had something she wanted to reflect on that was very similar to that. Yeah, it, it's absolutely very similar, but in a very, very small way. Obviously, I didn't get to work with Mother Teresa, uh, but uh, I worked for a nonprofit in India in the healthcare space, in emergency response space, and we were training people on how to provide CPR and how to provide first response, literally. And as a volunteer, I couple of times got the chance to really give CPR to someone who was like practically dead, like who was in a road accident. It's like the, the crowd around there, they have, they, they don't have the ability to respond and take that situational leadership. And you got to be a leader at that point. And that was incredibly defining because it's a life or death moment in very, very literal sense, right? So experiencing those kind of moments and through my full-time and voluntary work with that nonprofit was really life-changing for me. And I, I just couldn't help but relate to what Janet was saying and how it really helped shape up my personality and my life in general. So thank you so much, Janet, for sharing that incredible story. I love from that reflection that you had, just realizing the importance of leadership and realizing the impact that you can have as a leader. So that's something I think that every one of us can resonate with. Another thing I'm thinking about is what helps us through those reflections is often, often simple things like quotes and mantras, and they can seem like they're cliche, but they're really powerful for allowing us to stay aligned with those persons that we want to be and the, the persons that we are and the values that we want to send out. So I'm thinking about uh, Monica, something we were discussing, like a quote, a mantra. What's something that has shaped your mindset and helps keep you driven and aligned? Yeah, so I am a big fan of, of quotes and mantras, especially having been 
um, Janet's mentee. Um, she has so many, so many great ones. Um, and she actually has one of my favorite. Um, and that's our success is guaranteed. So this one in combination to one for my mother, which is Echale Ganas y Ten Fe, which translates to give it your utmost effort and have faith that things will play out as they should. Um, having these two in mind as I, you know, face all these challenges in the past two years, you know, transitioning into an MBA, transitioning careers, um, working internally on myself, working with others, um, having the knowledge that with, the, with that one-liner, success is guaranteed, really helps helps you lose fear you have going into a lot of situations where there's uncertainty. Um, and ultimately, if you think back on your all your lives, right? Um, how many times have you said, oh my gosh, how am I ever gonna get through this? How will I ever overcome this? But um, we, we all have, we're, we're here 100% of the time we've overcome. So if you frame things in every situation you go into with the idea that, it will be fine. And not only that, but what is best for you will be in alignment with you. Um, you will, you know, you will be your best self in every situation you're in. Um, and for me, our success is guaranteed and having faith um, are, are critical in, in these in these moments. That's, that's awesome. I, I think you said that to us the, uh, two weeks ago. And I was like, that's powerful. Because when I think of Janet Bruno, I think of visioneering and the importance of seeing that laid out in the future. And it's already, it's it's predetermined. Like you said, it's guaranteed. It's how you truly believe it. Like instead of having to fake it until you make it, you believe it until you become it. And I know Brooke, you had something similar that had to do with that you were reflecting on. Do you want to tell us a little bit more about that? Sure. Yeah. No, I love both of those quotes, Monica, that you said. And kind of, you know, when you really think about crafting your life, you have to make a lot of big decisions, you know, whether it is to join the Peace Corps, you know, to work for that nonprofit. And something that a mentor I had in my undergraduate experience has stuck with me. And he always told me, you know, when you're living your life, manage your regrets. And it sounds simple, but that has really helped me make some big decisions. So, you know, whether it's choose this career or this job or whether it's where to live, you know, I've tried the pro con list, the weighting, the pro and cons and making an analytical decision. But when I really picture myself, okay, five to 10 years down the road, is there going to be a path that I'm going to regret not taking or an opportunity that I just, even if I would have failed, I wish I would have tried it. Um, and that helps me kind of more resonate with my gut and make it more, you know, of a decision that really rests with what I want and not just, you know, weighing the pros and cons. So that's helped me a lot. That's really special because that's what I was thinking about. And that's what I think about often, like when I wasn't in the Peace Corps, like you and Janet, but before I made the decision to go to China, I was thinking everybody I talked to kept saying, oh, that's so cool. Like, you're going to go do that. Like, I was going to do that. But then I and then fill in the blank. Then I then I met my wife. Then I got that job. Then I bought a house or I got a dog. And it was like, am I going to am I going to let something like that? Am I going to be someone that looks back and says I was going to do that? But then I. And I didn't want to be that. I didn't want to be someone that looked back and thought, what if? And I see Janet's like shaking her head. So I know she has something insightful. And I'd love to hear what you're thinking about this. Sure. I mean, I, I totally agree with what everyone's saying. And, and I think um, with Monica, she, she's right. I do have a lot of mantras that I do, one-liners. And 
um, I was thinking, you know, what would be the one I've had so many my whole life, but I think one, and I don't even know really where I got it from, but since I was a kid, I had it clearly in my mind that where there's a will, there's a way. And I don't even, like I said, I don't know where I got it because growing up, I didn't like have any role models that were like successful business folks or actually even professionals making a whole lot of money. Um, but I just somehow had this instilled in me that I can really do anything. Like where there's a will, there's a way. I mean, like finding a way to get across living in Africa, finding a way to do this travel. And then I just kept setting higher and higher goals, you know, getting into the top medical schools, getting my absolute top residency. That's a super competitive, competitive, you know, number one spot. And I, where there's a will, there's a way. And it really ties into, to Rob, what you're saying is my visioneering, which with first years, I called it welcome to Hollywood. I used a different name, but it's the whole concept of using your imagination. Isn't that cool? <laughs> <laughs> You're the only you're you're the director and the producer of your own movie. And oh, by the way, you're also the actor. So you get to create your own movie, your own life. And where there's a will, there's a way. And there's the will, not in the forceful, like my way is gonna happen and I'm gonna force everyone. That's not at all what I'm meaning. I want to distinguish that. It's more like if you have the desire so strong and you you don't know how it's gonna happen but you're going to lock in with so much passion and desire and use your imagination and just keep focusing with that positive intent. You're going to, all of a sudden, the way is going to open up and it's going to become possible. So where there's a will, there's a way. That's so, that's so cool. And even the part about you changing it to the Hollywood this year, because that's how I shaped like all my personal narratives. I tried to tell them using like the stages of the hero's journey and thinking about all the processes that the 19 steps that every hero's tale goes through. But aside from that, I mean, your quote, where there's a will, there's a way it's powerful. It makes me think about um, if your why is big enough, you can sustain almost any how. And it's a big, something I keep in mind when you take on a new challenge, when you just, you put it on the calendar, you set it down and then you go figure out how to achieve it. And the amazing thing is like your brain will very quickly tell you like, that's impossible. You can't do that. You're not supposed to do that. Stay home, stay safe, stay comfortable. But when you start moving your feet on the ground, you really start to generate progress and momentum. And then by the time the challenge arrives, they're like, okay, what's next? You know, and that becomes a pattern and that becomes a theme in our lives because as Monica said, your success is guaranteed. Just a matter of imagination. And Maha, I saw you shaking your head the whole time. You were just like, yes, 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 yes. So I would love to hear what's what you're thinking about over there. Absolutely. I I, I just can so resonate with some of the quotes, actually all of the quotes that these ladies shared, and especially with um, what Janet said last, where there is a will, there is a way. It is literally kind of, I, I just realized it's been the mantra of my life. Because um, coming from the background that I have come from, I had to do that. Like most, like looking back, I feel like where I am today is the most impossible situation to logically put it. But I just wanted it so very badly that the universe conspired for this to happen. And obviously there was a lot of work, a lot of things that I had to do. And I had a lot of support, incredible support from people I knew, from people who cared about me, from 
people who never knew me. But I, I think it's just listening to Chanet and like these mantras, I just realized, oh, this has literally been the, been the way of life. So yeah, I just couldn't help but shaking my head. <laughs> That's lovely. Was that a casual Paolo Coelho quote? Did you just drop on us with the universe? <laughs> when you want something so bad, the universe can all of the universe conspires to make itself. That was yeah, nice. I, I I do believe that. Very very cool, very fitting. And I think all of us with the smiles that I'm seeing right now can agree. Like when you when you finally accomplish that and you finally achieve that, you you feel quite alive and you feel very empowered. So. What does it mean to you to be empowered? I know, Brooke, you were thinking a lot about this, getting ready for this conversation. Like, when do you feel the most alive and the most empowered? Yeah, I, I enjoy this question because I think it's very different for, for everyone. Um, but kind of to Maha's point and, and Janet's quote of when there's a will, there's a way. For me, it's like when I get myself in these very remote settings within nature, um, for example, like well, there's a way, like I did a trek to Everest base camp in Nepal and starting out planning that just felt, oh, there's no way I can do this. And then somehow, you know, you keep going and you find yourself standing at the base of Mount Everest, like, wow, I made it here. Um, and that's, you know, so for me, like those settings in nature is when I feel so alive and almost though, because I'm just so humbled by, by beauty and by nature, it's, you know, you feel small in the best way possible. It puts everything into, pers into perspective. But when I get that sense of peace, it's also immediately followed by, you know, I got myself here and the sense of pride, like, you know, I said yes to enough things to get me to the face of this mountain. Um, and so that's when I feel empowered and it's like, okay, what's next? I'm ready. <laughs> like me, I did this. This is me. I did this. <laughs> I made this happen. And I think, Monica, that's really similar to the way that you think about like how much you've been able to make from nothing. So I'm curious what you think. Could you tell us a little bit more about that? Sure. So I think, you know, I think empowerment, especially in the recent years, I feel for me comes from connecting with myself more. Um, you know, I think in life, a lot of us go through um, you know, taking note and trying to figure out a lot of external factors, but I think, and, you know, tying back to, you know, where, you know, where there's a will, there's a way that the perspective that you frame things through, um, when you tap into, into your internal self and you really get to connect with who you are, um, how you want to be witnessed, um, there's, to me, that's when the empowerment is endless. You feel like you're aligned with yourself. You feel like, um, you know, everything is out outwardly also aligns with you. Um, and, and I think that the older I've gotten, the more I've gotten uh, closer to that idea. Um, empowerment comes from within um, and more, more so the realization that you, you're in control of that. You, you choose when you decide you want to be closer to yourself or make those uh, changes. Yeah, that's really special. And I mean, thinking about how, how Janet has empowered all of you, how Janet's empowered me, how I think you all will continue to empower other people. Janet, I want to hear about this trickle down effect coming from you. How, how do you think about empowerment? Yeah, so first of all, I love all the comments so far. Um, Brooke, I didn't know you did that huge trek. That's so cool. 
That's so cool. And Monica, I know that it's so awesome to hear you say from the inside, the power comes and, and Maha, clearly everything you, you do and say speaks that. So empowerment, I mean, you guys have kind of heard me speak enough to know that I truly believe in mindfulness, being present in the moment. And, and that includes standing in your power. So really going to what Monica was just saying, our power really is deep inside. We all have it and we all have it even more than we realize. And so that's sort of like what Brooke, when you were saying, you know, you had to think about, you felt small in a good way, but then you also realized that all the yeses that you took and said that got you to that point. And so for me, when I, I have a daily meditation practice and I, I learned to meditate when I was 14. It absolutely, there's no question, hands down. It has been probably the most transformational thing in my life to, to mold me to who I am. And it's, it's making me stronger each and every day. So when I meditate, I get in that quiet and I really, I, I'm a spiritual person. I get in touch with that inner me and that's, that's the empowerment we're talking about. And it's that same thing that I've been talking about with, you know, whether it's visionary or welcome to Hollywood, you're in that meditation state. And after that quiet meditation where, you know, the mind's kind of blank, if you will, or maybe I'm focusing on the breath, there's several different types, but then I might go to something where if I have something happening that very day or a big event or a big, um, whether you're a leader and you're about to lead people, whatever it is, some big thing coming up, I will run it through in my mind, which is the visionary in Hollywood type thing. And I will see the best version of myself doing it. And as I do that more and more and more, what you realize is you're becoming that person. You're, you're already that person in your mind. Like it's, I kind of like to call it a spiritual prototype. You're forming the prototype in your mind. You just got to wait for the physical prototype to actually happen. And if you focus on that enough, that physical prototype absolutely will happen. So the empowerment we all have is inside. And that's definitely, there's no question I get grounded when I do that. And, you know, being in nature, that's also awesome. And you know, when I'm working out, I'm also in a zone, which I do every day. That's also an empowerment time. But the only other thing I'll add, and, and I've taught this, I'll just kind of tie a bow around it now, is that whenever each one of us, because we all go through whatever hard time or we do something below a standard that we know we, you know, I wish I hadn't said that or I wish I hadn't done that, whatever. Just in that moment, realize that you can rewind that in your mind. You can think of it like a blackboard and erase it and then recreate it the way you would have wanted to have done it. And if you do that, like Brooke, I know I shared this with you before, um, right before you go to sleep, maybe you did something earlier that day that you're just not very proud of. Maybe it didn't go well, whatever the scenario is, you're lying there. That's that opportunity to wipe clean the slate, wipe the blackboard, recreate it in your mind. You're the director of your movie and just make it unfold. You can't control other people, but you can control your response to it. And you, you'll be amazed when your response changes, everything changes. So you redo that in your mind, and then you go to sleep with a clear, clear mind. And if you guys do this every day and just have this perspective, it's going to radically change your life. You're going to become more empowered in everything you do. 
And then what's totally amazing is just like what I'm doing here, where I'm, a, you know, selected as a mentor for you guys, and you guys are positively impacted by me. I know without any doubt that each and every one of you is going to do the same thing with other people that you're going to be mentoring. Your strong empowerment will be a role model for them. So I guess that's how I see the answer to your question, Rob. That's a so such a powerful response. I'm like blown back with all the things I'd like to reflect on from it. But I think I love the analogy. I'm thinking of like an Etch-A-Sketch of just like wipe it back and then try and make it again. And and probably what's fitting about that is that it's so difficult to work and write on an Etch-A-Sketch. You have to move and maneuver. And then like you make one little mistake and you're like, damn, all things messed up. But something there's something beautiful in this analogy that I'm drawing out of it that it's like, it's challenging, but each time you can just start over and then go back to it again and keep working it. And that's that's exactly why I'm here today. And that's why I know Monica's here today. That's why Brooke's here. That's why Maha's here. That's why you're here because we just keep working at it. And I'll add one quick thing with what you said. I love the Etch-A-Sketch analogy. That's great. Um, the other thing is the word mistake. Mm -hmm. I really, really, really believe that there's no such thing as a failure. And when you say a mistake, think about Hollywood. What is it? It's a mistake. A mistake. She loves so, Hollywood. So what? You just do another take. You know, I mean, like, I, I literally, um, was when I transferred from surgery to family medicine, moved from the East Coast to the West Coast, um, ER was the movie that was like the most famous TV series. And I just, where there's a will, there's a way. I decided I wanted to be on ER. <laughs> this is kind of one of my crazy things. And I just decided I was going to be on ER. And I was, I found a way to get on. I was an extra in the background, wearing a little surgical mask, like pretending to resuscitate a baby. And I, I met George Clooney and it was, it was really kind of fun. Um, so that was kind of this crazy where there's a will, there's a way. But it's also, it very practically taught me about a miss take because they would literally take two full eight hour days to create one one hour series, if, if not even three days. Like people would do it and they'd, they'd do a flub. Let's just do it again. Let's just do it again. Let's just do it again. So what? You do a mistake. It's a mistake. I love that. So what? I mean, I, I think of mistakes quite differently than most people as well. I, I think of almost everything quite differently. And that's gotten me into trouble for most of my life. But then I realized that it's actually, you get to a certain level, if you prove yourself that it's actually a good thing. Like I, I greeted my team or in several people over the summer at, at Microsoft. And I said, hey, my name is Rob. Like, I'm excited to be here. I'm going to make a lot of mistakes and I'm looking forward to it. And they're like, don't be so hard on yourself. It's going to be fine. I'm like, no, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I'm going to learn so much so fast. I'm going to fail so fast. But like you said, failure is what happens when you decide that you failed. And I was like, so excited. People are just like, okay, reminder, don't ever have a coffee chat with Rob again. <laughs> but Maha, I see you laughing. I'm curious to know what makes you feel most alive and empowered. Well, I, I just loved how spiritual this conversation has become and turning inwards and empowering us. I completely relate to it. I did um, a Vipassana, I, I would say it's a course, it's a 10 day, it's, it sounds incredibly impossible because you are not supposed to talk 
or even make eye contact for 10 continuous days. You're not allowed books. You're not allowed uh, any kind of entertainment. All you got to do for 10 straight days in a closed environment is just meditate. For some reason in my life, I thought it's a good retreat and I got into it. I thought I would quit, but I didn't. I, I just felt alive every day after day. And this was so empowering because I really thought it is such an impossible thing. They feed you just twice a day. They feed you just fruits and very, very sattvic food. It's like, it's absolutely everything I wouldn't do. Because if you know me, you know how much I talk. <laughs> if you know me, how you know how much I'm emote. So it was like, okay, this is not possible for Maha, but it just was. So I I just like, it's it's not going to the base camp of Everest, sure, but this was an equivalent in my life. And I, I just can't help but wonder how similar our lives are and like how similar our approaches. Like we have had incredibly different experiences, but we are all connected literally. And I just love that. Yeah. And I think what's beautiful about everyone's story and the empowerment that we feel is it comes from within, but it comes from a sense of fulfillment in that we set out to do something and then we achieved it. We accomplished it. It seemed impossible at the time. And it, each time we achieve the next challenge, it, we're taking ourselves to the next level. And so I think for myself reflecting, even from this conversation on a previous question, someone asked me, it's like, why do you take on so many challenges? Why do you always look to do like the hard thing? Or why do you, why do you, why are you so obsessed with challenging yourself? And I think it comes from the a realization that at some point in life, all of us are going to hit something that's bigger than us. We're going to be overwhelmed. We're going to be faced with a challenge and we're going to have to navigate through that. That's an undeniable part of life. And I want to be ready. I want to be able to kind of the analogy again going back to like stay churned of, of sorts don't like don't ever stagnate don't ever lose that muscle and that reflex and that ability to overcome and that ability to grow and that ability to persevere through challenge I think you have to continue continuously stay on that and so the question I'm curious to think about with all of you is if someone was just listening to this conversation they could easily so far just be like wow here's five really positive, really optimistic people, they must have always been that way. They must have always been up and they must have always been filled with all this energy and enthusiasm and they must just be crazy. But what's something that used to challenge you that you've overcome? And I'd like to hear a little bit more about your story going through that. Um, Janet, would you mind to get us started? Sure. So, you know, Yes, I can, I can, I can understand someone watching, listening to this is saying, you know, everyone's positive, but, but hey, we're all human, right? We all have had our challenges. So for me, uh, it, it may sound like a small thing for people not facing it, but I, for whatever reason, I struggled with multiple choice tests. <laughs> like this seems like a ridiculous thing, <laughs> but when you're on a path to become a medical doctor, taking multiple choice tests and excelling at them is life or death. I mean, like you can't move past if you can't. So I, to this day, I don't even really know what was going on because I, I know I'm smart. I, I've had IQ tests and stuff like that. So I know that's totally, but it's the way my mind processes 
multiple choice requires you to like think black or white. And I think I just see so much possibility. I see the gray and that's like not a way to think to do well in multiple choice tests. So what happened was um, in my medical school, if any of you are familiar, you have to take various different, there are these standardized multiple choice tests to get through USMLE medical licensing exam, step one, step two, step three, and then you get your licensing exam. And it's like forever as a doctor, you have to face these ridiculous multiple choice tests. So to get through medical school, like I would, for example, in the clinical rounds, the, the, the first two years is classroom only. And I struggled. I'd study so hard and I'd quiz with, and I would like, know the information and then the test would come in front and I'd either barely pass or have to retake it and it was like so frustrating because you know I'm a high achiever and all this stuff but um so I got there were two two classes I had to retake and that was like horrible but I got through first two years the latter two years you go through the hospital to get the clinical and I knew it my personal skills and I, I was like excelling off the charts in all my rotations and they were getting, you know, give me honors and everything. And they'd, they'd quiz us as the bedside as we go into the patient's room. And I like knew all the answers and all the stuff. Same thing happened. They'd give me that because you have to have a multiple choice test and I'd, I'd like barely pass, but my honors on the, on the floor with all the interaction would like pull my grade up a little bit. But so I struggled and, and the licensing exams the first one and the second one, I had to retake them like two or three times. And all my classmates were just whizzing by and I'm like, what is up? Like it really challenged my own self-confidence because I'm like, I know I'm smart. Why can't I do this? And I, I tried hypnotism. I tried all sorts of things and I, I got through it. And, and I ended up, what was the hardest time was I ended up a critical, it was my second time taking the USMLE 2, which you have to pass to graduate from medical school in my school. There's a lot of medical schools in the country and only 30 of them required you to pass this in order to start your residency. The others, if you didn't pass it, you still start your residency. You just got to pass it during your first intern year. Well, my medical school was the high caliber and they wouldn't let us graduate. So second time tested, I didn't pass. And I'll never forget that was, it was, it was heartbreaking. It was all of my friends were going to walk across the stage and get their diploma, their MD. I couldn't do it. And I felt like I pulled the most proud day from my parents' life to see their daughter walk across and get an MD. And I was, it was so hard. I like, literally, I had to leave town. I couldn't even be in the same town because my friends were going to walk across the stage. It was horrible. So I got through it and I studied and I passed and I graduated like off cycle. And what was amazing is my residency that I had won, my top choice residency, I still won because I won it before the scores were released. And what happened and our med school counselor said, this has never happened in her 17 years ever. Um, it has happened that students have failed and gotten held back and they couldn't start residency. But she said, what happened with you has never happened. And I got my top choice at Georgetown. The counselor had to call them to Georgetown to say, Janet won't be starting with you. She didn't pass her licensing exam. And their response was, we want Janet. We're gonna hold an open spot until six months when she passes and then she'll start off cycle. 
And that was huge. So on the one hand, I was very grateful. Obviously, I impressed them so much, but then also huge pressure on me, not only to pass, which I knew I was going to pass, but you can imagine I had all this self-esteem. Can I really do it? All this stuff popping up big time. And then not only can I pass it, but holy cow, surgical residency is 12 months for a reason. And I'm starting six months behind the eight ball. Can I really do that? And I had to dig deep and draw that empowerment, which we were just talking about and say, you know, they saw something in me so much that they're going to hold that. I got to believe in myself at least as much as they do to get through this tough time. And, you know, sure enough, it all happened beautifully. And I did pass and I did start Georgetown and I did do really well at the end of that first half year. I was thinking they may have me repeat it just because I did miss six months. And they're like, no, you're performing at a total up to level. You're ready to start as a second year. So that was, I learned a whole lot. I learned tremendous persistence. I learned about, like I said, not doing well in multiple choice exams may sound like nothing to some people, but as you're explaining, you can tell all the emotional stuff that was tied up in that so that um, I got through it and I, I, I pulled deep the grit and I can do it. And I used some of these visioneering welcome to Hollywood skills to see myself, you know, doing well in the exam and being confident starting at the surgical residency. And it, it definitely molded me to who I am today going through that. Undoubtedly. I mean, as you were just discussing it, just listening, I was just so captivated. I was like playing the Hollywood movie out in my head, just like, like, like the titles and all the credits coming up and as you just concluded it so nicely. But what a, what a story. I mean, your success is guaranteed. Am I right? Like you really, you took on the challenge. That's like everything we just talked about. You took on a ridiculous level challenge and continued to persevere and all coming back to that theme of, you know, black or white thinking, this decision-making, the decision paralysis, something that a lot of us were challenged with. And I know Brooke, you were talking about this a little bit before in coming up with ways for, for your, you to be able to make better decisions. And I think you've been faced with some difficult decisions in your past. And I want, would love if you could tell us a little bit more about that experience. Sure, sure. Yeah, definitely the most difficult decisions I've faced. I'm, I'm helped most when I think of, you know, that, that quote I said, managing your regrets, like which opportunity do I just have to take? Um, but when you asked about a challenge, actually what came to mind is I've really battled procrastination for a lot of my life. And um, I recently in the class with you, Rob, just had like a huge breakthrough this last semester um, that I'd love to share. And funny, because it was actually a class on emotional intelligence. And we think of procrastination as, you know, it's easy when you procrastinate, it's easy to have negative self-talk, right? You jump to like, I'm lazy. I don't manage my time well, but we read a few really incredible articles talking about how it's more an issue of emotional self-control and that we're procrastinating because we don't want to face these emotions that the task brings out in us. And once I started watching that in myself, I'm like, okay, yes. Like so many times I'm procrastinating because of almost like perfectionist tendencies, right? Like I'm scared to start because I don't think I'm going to be able to do it right. Or I'm confused um, or I'm anxious. And, you know, sometimes you procrastinate because you're bored and you just don't want to wash the dishes or whatever. That's kind of another, another thing, but um, it's really helped me to kind of face 
either tasks or decisions even head on and say, okay, what am I feeling? Okay, I'm nervous. I'm nervous. I'm going to make the wrong decision. Let's plow through that emotion. Or I'm, I'm scared that I'm not going to be able to do this to the ability I want to. Okay, let's push through that. We know we can get something on the paper and just start. So since I've reframed that procrastination in my mind that way, it's really helped me. And I wish I could go back like 10 years ago and tell 20 year old Brooke <laughs> to start paying attention to the emotions. Um, it would have helped me a lot. That's, that's so important because you're talking about like this root cause analysis, right? On the surface, it's like, I'm procrastinating. I'm, I'm so bad, but instead of working with our brain and working with ourselves as humans and like treating ourselves like, well, what's wrong? What's the problem here? Do we just think, oh, I'm just, I'm just a bad person. I'm just, oh, I'm just a procrastinator. I can't go, I can't fix this. It's just the way things always have to be. But I'm glad too. And, and having that same reflection while we were in that class, even realizing that procrastination isn't always a bad thing, especially if you're actively thinking about it, it actually gives you time to let your brain cultivate. Now, most people probably aren't on the good side of procrastination. They're probably just putting it off if they didn't start the assignment. But I think the key takeaway there is, is the power of emotions and the power of getting to that root cause and your emotions and the emotional intelligence piece is so important. And I, I think that's really related to what Maha was thinking about and what I was reflecting on a lot coming into this session in thinking about times when we feel underqualified, when we feel out of place and managing our emotions in those difficult times. So Maha, can you tell us a little bit more about how you have ever felt when you feel underqualified, how you deal with that? What, what was that like? Yeah, uh, when, I, when I really thought of this question, I, I couldn't help but um, draw back a memory where I was totally out of place. And this is in my undergrad. Um, I chose mechanical engineering um, because I wanted to be uh, an aeronautical engineer in the future and like mechanical engineering was a pathway. And I was the only girl out of the cohort of like 140 guys. And in my building, I, I remember I had to like, when I went in with uh, one of my um, parents and just to check out the college and like I was meeting the HOD and I, I today recall this conversation really clearly because he said, hey, I can get you into any department. No questions asked. You could like transfer to any department. I will make sure the transition happens very smoothly. And I was like, why should I? That, that was like, why are you even offering this to me? Because he was coming from the point of view, was like, oh my God, this is going to be just impossible. Like, why are you going through this? And I'm like, no, this is what I want to do. This is, I, I don't think I'm going to change my mind in what I'm going to pursue just because other men or women do or don't do that. I'm not going to let my choice be dependent on anyone else. And call it naivety, call it the adolescence uh, courage, but I clearly believe that it doesn't matter if I'm like the only person or like I'm, I'm in a room full of women, I'm going to do what I pursued. So I, it, was, it was just a moment of courage, which I didn't realize at that point. And four years, I was the only one in my cohort. There were good times, there were not so good times. I learned a whole deal and emotional intelligence and uh, just managing through people and going back to how I would like to be witnessed. And I said kind because that's not how I was witnessed for a lot of 
time because I was a very mental person. I I I was I would test really well. I would I I was an overachiever, but I didn't get my way along with people a lot because I would always focus on what is the right thing to say or what is like objectively right instead of like what is a kind thing to say or how how can I get my message across to people and I just had to learn all of these to survive those four years and just to manage different situations that would arise just working with different people. So yeah, it was it was a hell of an adventure. <laughs> Sorry for my language, but yeah. No, you're you're totally on point and I loved it. And I love that you drew back in the question, how do you want to be witnessed? Because you it takes a while for people to understand the intentionality behind that question. And understandably so, but to witness someone is so much more powerful than to see them. Because when you witness, you're actively engaged in the perception that they're creating together. You were a part of the moment. You were engaged in the moment. You didn't just see it. It's kind of like the difference between listening and hearing. You know, if you hear something, it goes in and out. If you listen, you're really paying attention to it. If you witness something, you were really engaged in that process. So for someone to be able to come on this show and bear, you know, tell us how they would like to be witnessed and we can be a part of witnessing that. It's really powerful, especially because very often I, I am a believer that at this stage of our lives, we're very limited by what other people are trying to help us achieve. It's not by what they tell us we can't do because most of the times the best way to get someone to do something is to tell them that they can't do it. They'll be like, well, forget you. I'm going to go do it anyway. Uh, but it's the, by all the help and all the guiding that we receive towards the directions of things that people think are best for us. So even like the person, that man in your story who was like, you know, this might be better for you if you just go another route, like maybe you should do something else. He, he couldn't really understand what you, what you were all about. He wasn't really able to witness you in that moment and see the person that you were trying to become, the person that you wanted to align with. So I think that that's just so powerful. And, and Monica, I know that we often, we, you've listened to me many times. I've listened to you many times talking about the experiences we felt when we feel out of place or underqualified. Um, I'm certain as you're shaking your head that you have a ton to reflect on with this. So I'm curious what's on your mind. Yeah. So, I mean, I feel like um, going back to something you said earlier about staying churned or ready for all these challenges. Um, from my experience, I feel like my life has been a series of challenges, a series of events um, that can all be looked at in a very negative light or in a way that can, you know, set me back from whatever my future visions are. But, um, you know, in, in a lot of those experiences is the feeling of not fitting in. And, you know, that is also tied to uh, like my background, um, you know, I'm a Hispanic woman, uh, less than 5% of us make it to the master's uh, degree level. So even, you know, even now I feel like I don't belong, but going back to what I was saying earlier about, you know, the, the perspective you have, the, the sense of self you have, that all helps in mitigating that feeling. You do, you know, I, I worked as much as anybody else to, to get here. I, you know, I, I filled all the, the boxes, checked on paper, um, and really it's just, what I'm trying to say is it's just the, the limits that we're imposing on ourselves, the boundaries that make us feel a lot of the times like we aren't supposed to be there or we don't belong. And ultimately we're in control of 
of that framing of that perception. Um, and, you know, if you don't have um, the belief in the self to, to take control of that, then you're, you're, you're subjecting yourself to a lot of um, unnecessary negative feelings, right? You, you are in charge of empowering yourself when you do, you step out of the vision of not belonging, of not, you know, imposter syndrome. Um, and it's, it's really the power is within you. Um, and you essentially have the ability to, to reshape everything. Um, and obviously societal is, is societal, uh, you know, frameworks and everything there might be actually set up against you, but the way you perceive it, the way you take it, um, can make you fit in just, just as well. That's amazing. Um, and just thinking about the, the women that will be watching this episode. I know, Brooke, you already sent a message to your 20-year-old self. Monica, I know your sisters will, will undoubtedly listen to this episode, as will so many women that are that look up to you that you probably don't even realize the impact that you'll have for them indirectly, which is so powerful. I think Janet's like wiping a tear from her eye, potentially. It's just, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing to witness and to be a part of and to create this stage together. Uh, coming up to this conclusion of what's been a phenomenal discussion, I'd love if everybody could take a moment and think about what that actionable takeaway would be, what that thing that you want the people you love and care about to, to reflect on or what, what you think that they should do after this and that message that might be sent to younger you or anyone that could be on their own journey currently and what would you impart onto them and I'm thinking Maha I know I would love to hear what you have to think about this if you're willing to send your message. Absolutely. I think believing in thyself, it has come about in a lot of ways in this con in these conversations. I, I definitely uh, would tell people, especially in the midst of the pandemic, we're still in the midst of it, not at the end of it. Uh, and a lot of things are happening around the globe. And uh, we need more than anything, the belief and faith in ourselves and uh, the goodness that we can bring to this world. And that's very needed. That's that's my message to myself, past, present and future. And I think to anyone who's listening. Powerful. And Brooke, I would love to hear from you. I just say, don't be scared to go off the path. I think, you know, life kind of whatever circumstance you're in, you're you're almost raised with this path set up for you, whatever that may be. And it really takes checkpoints early on to say, is this what I want? Like, is this really, you know, the next step for me? Um, and it's okay to just do something different. Beautiful. Janet? Yeah, so boy, this has been such a rich conversation. So really pulling in so many um, themes and threads of what you all said, I really do believe that, you know, believe in yourself, trust yourself, which is different from believe, and realize that no one can possibly know what's right for you, except for you. And, and that can get hard to hear, hard to really listen to, to, to say the word listen rather than hear. But really, when you get quiet, listen to that stall, you know, small, still voice inside and let that you know, intuition, the quiet, quiet voice guide you. And then realize that you can either be your absolute biggest champion or your worst enemy. And it's, 
it's up to you. And so it's the, it's the power of the mind, which you know I always come back to, but your mind is going to create visions of if you're taking the negative spin and you're worrying about what might happen, you're playing those negative mind movies in your head. So you're using your mind power, but to the negative. So if you recognize how powerful you are truly, and that the only limitations you have are the ones you think of, see about consciously intent, setting the intention each and every day to tap the power of your mind in a positive way. Think about all the amazing things you can do, the amazing outcomes that you can help move forward to nourish other people, to grow yourself and focus on that. And if you can do that, all of a sudden you're gonna become your best friend, your best champion. And that critical voice that used to be in your head is just gonna get softer and softer. And if you don't listen to it, it's just gonna go away. So that's what I would say. Wow. Okay, amazing. It's, it's really awesome. Monica. Yeah, so for me, the piece of knowledge that I would impart is you are in control. You are in control. And this is tying into what Janet is saying. You're in control of what your feelings look like right now, what they'll look like in the future. You're in control of the connections you have in life or, or maybe not connections you have. Um, you, you have all of that internally. Um, it just takes patience with yourself and love for yourself to, to really tap into that. But um, I can't stress enough how much in control of your reality you are within, within yourself. All four of you, super profound, amazing discussion. Um, I'm going to close the conversation with a huge thank you to all of you. And, and I'm going to share like the reflection that I was taking away from, from this discussion too just being able to speak with the four of you as amazing leaders, amazing women, so impactful. So just, I'm, I'm in awe. Like I don't have all the words like I usually like to believe that I do. Um, but just thinking about my own journey and the struggle to fit in and the struggle to think different and how you can feel isolated and outnumbered. And for all of you to share this reflection, the the problem is, is probably that it, you, it takes getting to this MBA level to have more people be able to realize that. And so the message that I was going to leave with was for my sister, who I know is going to listen to this episode because she started helping a ton with the podcast, but it could also be imparted to my daughter one day, to my mom, to my aunts. Um, and it's an, an adaptation from a quote from George Bernard Shaw. Um, and in, the quote is from man and Superman. I'm going to change the word man to woman because I think it's just so powerful in thinking about how we think different and how we, we make our impact, not in fitting in, but in, in changing the way, in changing the game. And it says, the reasonable woman adapts herself to the world. The unreasonable one persists in trying to adapt the world to herself. Therefore, all progress depends on the unreasonable woman. Thanks, Rob. Thank you so much. Beyond talent, intelligence, money, or natural gifts, ordinary people achieve the extraordinary and shape what's possible for others by taking action with their heart and hard work.